Hello and welcome to the One Up Pod, your favourite game podcast from your four favourite, definitely not pro gamers. I'm Becky, your host for this month, and I'll be sharing the spotlight with Andy. What up, fuckers? Bash. Hey up. And Chip. Hello. It's the 25th anniversary of the release of the first Tomb Raider game this year, and to celebrate, we're taking a stroll down memory lane and telling you all the story of that famous and storied heroine, Lara Croft. First of all, how are we all and what has everyone been playing? Chip, let's go to you first and make sure you are still there. <laughs> I'm here, don't worry. But I'm also <laughs> going to cut that out, so that's not going to make any sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I have been playing the GTA Trilogy, uh, the Definitive Edition, which uh, we will have a review up by now. So you should go and listen to that if you have not, because I'm not going to tell you a thing about it, other than that I am having lots of fun. And I think it's been overly criticised, even though some of the criticisms are valid. So that's you not saying anything about it? Yeah, just go and listen to the episode. (laughs) Nicely done. Thank you. Andy? Well, I've also been playing GTA, but um, I've also been playing (laughs) Animal Crossing because they did the update and I remembered that I had not finished version 1.0, so I couldn't do any of the new stuff. So I had to work my ass off to get KK Slider to visit my island. (laughs) Uh, I couldn't work out how to get myself to the free stars that I needed. And I absolutely refused to remove the outside urinal that I had built outside the Able Sisters clothes shop. Oh, right, Andy. That's out, such a you move. Andy. I just flat out refused. But I managed to work it out. I, I just had to build some extra fences and he showed up and I'm happy. Oh, good. So you can conceal some modesty then. Yeah. I didn't build good. a fence around the urinal though. Oh. What? You know what? Yeah. I'm not going to ask. Sasha! Yeah, let's leave it there. Sasha! You'll see eventually because you'll visit my island and find it. <laughs> Sasha! <laughs> Please. <laughs> Can't wait to visit your Rhino Island. <laughs> your island. No, that didn't <laughs> work. <laughs> wow. But, Sasha, please. Help. I don't know how to follow that. No, I know. That's why I'm calling on you. <laughs> uh, unsurprisingly, I've been playing more Final Fantasy fourteen online. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm now about halfway through the final expansion before the new one comes out next month. So I think this is going to be me for a good while yet. But just to give a little bit of variance, I've also be, I've also played Life is Strange Before the Storm and two and a half of the episodes of True Colors. So I'm making my way through the Life is Strangers too and crying a lot <laughs> at those games. And, yeah. and generally, of course, but at those games. <laughs> <laughs> Can we all remember we're not a therapy podcast, whether that's outdoor urinals or... Whatever is happening. <laughs> well, especially the outdoor urinals. Especially the outdoor urinals. No one is qualified to deal with that. I maybe feel, a plumber. I feel persecuted here. You should. Oh, maybe that's where Mario comes in. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Becky? I've also been playing Animal Crossing um, as a newly minted Switch deckhead. Um, thank you to my boyfriend, Danny, for giving me his Switch for a bit. Um, so, yeah, I've been playing Animal Crossing. I am nowhere near getting urinals outdoor or otherwise but i'm <laughs> you've just got a hole at the moment uh, yeah it's just a hole <laughs> public hole but i put a fence <laughs> around it so it's okay 
no, I'm really enjoying it. It's really lovely. And I'm going through a bit of a stressful patch of work at the moment. So it's quite nice to just switch off and, you know, go diving for sea creatures and other weird and wonderful things. Um, so yeah, that's me. Before we get into our pop culture tomb raiding, I just wanted to offer a quick disclaimer at the start of the episode. The nature of some of our discussions today are extremely heteronormative and we'll be referring to narrow definitions of gender, but it is specific to this topic. Blame the 90s. And it's not something we believe or endorse as a podcast. And so we move on to today's big topic, which is a slight departure for us in that we're not talking about a specific game, we're talking about a specific character, Lara Croft. She of the triangular boobs, consistently in practical adventuring gear and the sassy one-liner. Andy and I are going to be taking it in turns today as we delve into the history and pop culture impact of the aristocratic archaeologist. Oh, I did no, myself no favours putting that in. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so over to Andy to tell us how Lara came to be. Thank you, Becky. So, um, Toby Gard was credited as creating uh, Lara Croft. Um, there are mixed reports on how exactly the character was settled on. Gard did originally envision an option between a male and a female protagonist, but uh, the prospect of animating two characters was too much and it was decided to scale back to just one. Uh, some rumours suggest that they were leaning towards a male protagonist in the sort of Indiana Jones fashion, but the bosses at Eidos Interactive were kind of terrified of getting sued by Lucasfilm, so they went with the female option. But uh, there's other rumours that insist that like, Guard wanted to go with a female character from the very beginning. Whatever the origins, a female character was settled on early into development, as a design document for version 1.3 showcases the lead character being called Lara Cruz. She was a Latin American adventurer. Uh, her de initial design was very similar to what uh, Lara Croft would become, uh, the ponytail, jewel holsters. However, she was wearing uh, cargo pants and heavy boots, which seemed like very practical and quite refreshing to see. And that was somewhat undone by the fact she's wearing a crop top. <laughs> so close. Yeah, they keep... They, oh, they're just so close all the time, they keep messing it up. But uh, apparently uh, management wanted to uh, make Lara more friendly to the British market, which was their main focus, being a UK developer and publisher. So uh, Lara Croft was born. And it's kind of interesting going from a Latin American exploring the roots of civilization, uh, like cultures that predated the colonialism thing, and then changing it to a white British aristocrat. It's, <laughs> it's certainly a choice. <laughs> I don't think it was a deliberate like or malicious one, but it's definitely a big oof. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Tomb Raider, they had a, a small development team, or at least by today's standards, where you get like entire warehouses full of tired-eyed programmers. Uh, it consisted of uh, Toby Gard, who was what you would call the director today. He also served as the character designer and animator for both in-game characters and the cutscenes. He was joined by uh, level designers Heather Gibson and Neil Boyd, programmers Gavin Rummery, Jason Gosling and Paul Douglas, and writer Vicky Arnold, who developed a script based off the story draft by Gard and Douglas. Uh, programmer Gavin Rummery said of the final design and model, I thought it was a gr just a great model. Straight away you could see Toby was excellent at what he did. Our character artists all marvel at the way he managed to build that model to be so iconic, but yet made of so few polygons. It already had character. And uh, for those wondering, Lara Croft's original model was made up of roughly 230 polygons. And for context, the Lara Croft model used in Tomb Raider Underworld had 32,000. That netted Lara Croft the Guinness World Record for most detailed video game character in 2010. 
I did not know that was a world record until today. We've got we've got more world records coming up with Lara as well. It, she's yeah. a she's a record holder. Yeah, she she's netting all the, the awards. <laughs> Um, on the final on the final design of Lara Croft, uh, Neil Boyd also said, uh, Toby developed the model to look like his drawings. I knew we'd get flack from people, but he wasn't bothered about that. He was happy with the way she was. I don't know whether he had a thing for big breasts. He was a very secretive guy. He'd never answer a question straight. Reads like something that would be read out in court. <laughs> yeah. I just like imagining the whole development team constantly bombarding Toby Gard with questions like, why the boobs? And Gard just, he just like smoke bombs and Toby, stop, it. stop messing with the boobs, Toby. He's like, no, they're important. <laughs> so yeah, she, she, so she had big boobs, small shorts, and was intended to be conventionally beautiful. But there's, in the actual game design aspect, there's not a lot about it that suggests she was intended to be sexualized because her animations are very graceful. Her mannerisms and personality in cutscenes are smart and witty rather than sultry. The, the camera is fixed behind her at all times from a significant distance. You'd need to really go out of your way to try and trick the camera into catching some side boob. So like that really just came down to horny teenage boys in a pre-internet age being really resourceful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> not that I'm uh, saying anything about myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, in an interview from 2004, Gard explained that while he intended the character to be attractive to, pe- to appeal to like male gamers, her other characteristics, which would appeal to female gamers, were more important to him. And I quote, She wasn't a tits-out-for-the-lads type of character in any way. Quite the opposite, in fact. I thought that what was interesting about her was she was this unattainable, austere, dangerous sort of person. But uh, regardless of Gard's good intentions there, um, the culture of the era had other plans for Lara Croft. Yes, so I'll be taking the pop culture side of Lara Croft. To say that good intentions were lost is kind of an understatement when it comes to Eidos taking over for the game's marketing push. The internal paradox of the character, the male gaze fantasy versus the feminist icon, is set up right from the beginning because of the clash between Gard's intentions for the character and how she would go on to be presented in the media. But before we get into that, I want to have a little talk about how horrendous the latter half of the 90s was. So by 1996, we're deep into the years of the lad mag and page three culture where glamour models whapped out their baps in the papers while you had your morning cup of tea. <laughs> FHM. Sorry, did you say whapped out their baps? Whapped out their baps, yeah. Oh, sorry, I wasn't quite ready for that. <laughs> yeah, I told you there'd be stuff to react to. <laughs> it is surprising at breakfast time, to be fair. Yeah, I always uh... thought so. FHM and Maxim and Loaded were extremely popular and promoted the kind of aggressive masculinity that was associated with rampant sexism, rampant alcoholism and rampant football watching. It was seen largely as a response to second wave feminism. But we're in the late 90s, which means we're also talking about the rise of girl power. The Spice Girls had hit the scene two months before Tomb Raider's release with Wannabe and their Ledette brand of feminism was influencing girls and women all over the world by this point. In the girl power ideal, women could be self-possessed and in control of their sexuality while looking absolutely fantastic in a pair of go-go boots and a mini dress. The marketing team behind Tomb Raider had the opportunity to capitalise on two very relevant forms of gender essentialism. Can we all guess which one they went for? Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder. Yes, indeed. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. You see where this is going. So Idos decided that Lara was for the lads. Lads, lads, lads. In a big contrast Red. from the intelligent and elegant aristocrat of the games, the marketing version of Lara went straight into full pin-up territory, creating a cyber babe versus feminist icon legacy that is debated to this day. 
this is where it gets it starts getting really grim. Just just to warn you. I just pushed the Lara Croft angle really hard it was when it comes to promoting Tomb Raider. So she was in credit card adverts, in-game branding partnerships. She went on tour with U2 for some reason. I do not remember what? that. What? Yep. What? Yep. Yep. She, what? Uh... Yep. She was in the, um, the video stuff for U2's tour in 97, I think it was. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Yep. Uh, if only that was the only YouTube Lara Croft connection. No, you're not mentioning it. Not yet. Later. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And famously, there was an ongoing ad campaign with LucasAid, which was even co-branded as LaraZaid for a while. And that would go on through a lot of the franchise's history, that partnership with LucasAid. So she was everywhere at the time and crossed over into the pop culture zeitgeist in a way that few other video game, video game characters have ever managed. She appeared on the cover of Financial Times, she was in Time magazine, Newsweek and Star magazine The Face. There was even a compilation tribute album made for her including Depeche Mode and Moby who contributed songs. Which, again, what? Anyway. <laughs> that, that was going to be my next question, yes. <laughs> So far, so relatively normal as marketing campaigns go, um, even with the slightly weirder aspects. But then it gets really fucking weird. Brace yourselves. At marketing events, IDOS decided to take the unusual step of hiring several models to portray Lara Croft and observed that the real-life Laras were insanely popular with the nearly all-male audience at these events. Who'd have done it? I know. They decided to take advantage and hire one model to portray Lara Croft as an official role play of the character, so it's like professional cosplay, essentially, to keep an audience interactivity that went beyond the game. Natalie Cook was the first model to play Lara individually in real life, later succeeded by others, including British actor actress Rona Mitra. Prior to Mitra, the model Laras weren't allowed to say anything at all. They were just posing for photographs and their aura events, and their appearances were carefully managed by Eidos. This evolved with Mitra, who was allowed to answer questions in character as long as Eidos pre-approved the questions and scripted the responses they wanted to do, wanted her to give prior to the interview. Mm-hmm. That's very... It's just, yeah, this is just weird. It's so weird. <laughs> So the marketing was all about Lara's sex appeal, and let's face it, her boobs. And it worked. Uh, Gaming publications listed her breasts as one of the character's most famous attributes. PlayStation magazine. Yeah. Oh, it it just gets worse, by the way. (laughs) Oh, I don't want it to. This paragraph alone. PlayStation magazine awarded her an honourable mention as Game Babe of the Year and featured her in their swimsuit edition. (laughs) Just the fact that you could do a swimsuit edition in the PS1 era is just very grim. It's so we, we've all, we all know what they look like, those character models. Exactly. Who, who's, who's whacking off to that? Seriously. <laughs> hey, if you whacked off to that, do get in touch. No. So we can block you on Twitter. Yeah, don't don't tell me that. I'm already I feel like I need to take a shower after we record this episode already. So developers would then be harassed with a request to reveal uh, the mythical nude cheat. Uh, which supposedly existed in the game, which would allow you to see Lara in all of her naked polygonic glory. This led to developers adding a scene at the end of the second game. Lara is about to disrobe and get into the shower, but before she does, she says she thinks the player has seen enough and she shoots the camera, which told you. (laughs) That should have been been it. But yeah, anyway, we continue. 
It's around this time that the sexy Lara pinup approach starts to backfire. Core design in particular are trying to play down Lara's sex appeal, a move PlayStation magazine criticises hypocritical given how the marketing campaign was going. And then in 1998, glamour model Nell McAndrew was hired as the next Lara stand-in. Now, bear in mind, and this is important for how this story develops, the definition of a glamour model is a woman employed to pose nude or topless for photographs. During her tenure as Lara, McAndrew posed in Playboy, which used Tomb Raider branding without Eidos' permission. McAndrew was fired, and in 1999, Eidos successfully sued Playboy not only for the copyright breach, but also to protect Lara's character, arguing that the association of the character with pornography would forever harm her image. <laughs> Fucking thank. Uh, um... <laughs> and while that little drop of hypocrisy sinks in, I'm going to hand back to Andy to take us through the original run of games. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that, that was worse than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, th- I, there's more. <laughs> I like how they were like, how dare you sexualise our character? We wanted to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. The 90s was a cesspit. If you weren't around for it, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of 90s, uh, yeah, Tomb Raider was released in 1996 to critical acclaim. Um, as per Moby Games, and if I was looking exclusively at reviews published at the time, no retro reviews or anything like that, Tomb Raider has seven reviews of a perfect score. Uh, CVG gave it 100 for both the PS1 and Saturn versions. And uh, in their Saturn review, they said it was, and I quote, a great blend of action and adventure to appeal to more people than the average RPG ever will. Which, you know, is a bit weird that they're shitting on an RPG there, but whatever. (laughs) The lowest score that I could find was 80, which meant uh, using all the reviews from the time of release, Tomb Raider had a review average of 91%. Uh, Sales-wise, it topped the British charts three different times. In the US, it was the highest-selling PlayStation game for that period, and it went on to sell uh, 7 million copies worldwide. So, uh, for context, the best-selling PS1 game of all time is Gran Turismo, with 10.85 million. This made uh, Tomb Raider was the ninth best-selling PS1 game of all time. So, um, how did I- how did this really favour IDOS Interactive? Well, then... Um, the publisher had recorded like um, a nearly $2.6 million pre-tax loss the year before the release of Tomb Raider. But um, thanks to Tomb Raider, they turned their loss into a $14.5 million profit in just a year. Holy cow! So, yeah, <laughs> so it was safe to say like Tomb Raider saved that publisher from folding really early. No wonder they could afford other models. Yeah, so like of course they were going to bleed this cash cow dry. I was going to say milk, but I felt that too many, too many yeah. babe comments to like, yeah. <laughs> oh no. So, uh, I didn't script that bit, I just mentioned boobs because, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, like, Tomb Raider. I like how you had to pro- like provide that disclaimer. Like, I didn't think of this ahead of time. Yeah, I, I've written very little boob comments in my script. I just want this to be said. I can't, anyway, I can't get away from the boobs. They're everywhere. You can't, yeah, yeah you're, you just got fast into the boobs. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so Tomb Raider 2 came out a year later. Uh, Tomb Raider 3, Tomb Raider The Last Revelation, and Tomb Raider Chronicles came out the year, the following three years. So um, can you really conceive like that sort of thing happening now? Like a massive hit coming out, and then they knock out four whole sequels in four years. It's It's insane to think about, but... Obviously, they managed to do this by keeping most of the core assets in place so they could like speed through the development. Assets, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, assets. That, assets. That, hey. this, yeah, assets. Lads, lads, lads. Lads. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. 
I did not. I did not think about core assets being like taken like that. That's my fault. How do you take your core assets? <laughs> Never you mind. Gently, hopefully. <laughs> so yeah, critins, uh, cr- critins, critins. Yeah, whatever. Cretins. Critics. Cretins. The cretins. <laughs> cretins. The cretins. The cretinous critics <laughs> cottoned on to this almost immediately. With uh, Tomb Raider two and. Um, the patience for the idea would uh, gradually deflate like a balloon at a sad boy's birthday, but <laughs> Tomb Raider 2 remains like quite a well-received game. It only received one perfect score this time. The low score was 57, which is quite a significant drop, and that 57% review was in GameSpot, and they accused the game of treating Lara Croft like, and I quote, the star of a movie thrown into an uninspired game with hopes of making sales based on the name alone. Which you know, Ooh, foreshadowing. Yep. So, so with that all that in mind, the um, the average based on all the reviews released at the time, it was eighty five point three percent. It did not sell quite as well as Tomb Raider one, with uh, lifetime sales falling slightly to six point eight million. But it was still doing really well. Um, but the downward trajectory of the series would continue from there. Uh, Tomb Raider three scored an average of seventy six point five percent, and sold roughly six million copies. Tomb Raider The Last Revelation scored an average of 72%, with a sales of 5 million. And now, as a a funny little aside, um, wedged between Tomb uh, Tomb Raider The Last Revelation and Tomb Raider Chronicles, there was an exclusive level released by the Times newspaper that focused on a group attempting to rob Tutankhamun's tomb, and it starred actual editor of the Times, Peter Stoffard, and uh, you should Google what he looked like in the game if you ever want to find yourself a new sleep paralysis demon to haunt your fucking nights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually gonna I'm gonna send you a picture of him in the this group oh. Discord so you can see what he looks like. Yeah, no, please, oh, I need to no. know this. <laughs> Good fucking lord! Oh my god, he looks. Oh, welcome to Tori, the video game. <laughs> he looks like Sven and Ericsson got smushed. <laughs> <laughs> You should, it's even worse in motion. He's, he's not a gifted actor. <laughs> like so, yeah, it, His fingers look like white Kit Kats. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, um, after this abomination, Tomb Raider Chronicles was released and that proved to be the final straw for many. It scored 59.6%, the review average, and the sales hit what was at the time a series low with a disastrous 1.5 million. So oh. you can see the drop is, is massive. Like the bloom was thoroughly off the rose for Lara Croft. Uh, you could even argue the rose stank of complete shit at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Which means it was a perfect time for Hollywood to come in. Hey! Oh. <laughs> Are we ready for more boobs? Yeah, sure. I mean, to be fair, sure. Like, <laughs> who's, who's not always in the mood for boobs? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I feel like... There's like boobs that you can appreciate on an aesthetic level, and then there's just like constant boob conversations. I don't know that triangle tits are boobs that can be appreciated <laughs> on an aesthetic level. Oh no, I, nope. we're we're getting into the the aesthetic boobs now. I hate. The okay, fact I'm just that. saying it now. The title of this episode is going to have boobs in it somewhere. <laughs> it has to be. In which we boobs. Boobs. <laughs> in which boobs, boobs, boobs. <laughs> boobs. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So, as the games were waning in popularity, the character of Lara herself still soared. So, obviously, when they came along for the movie adaptation, they titled it Lara Croft Tomb Raider 
putting her as the chief branding draw of the uh, action franchise. And it was big news. It would be a female-led action blockbuster in a time where female action characters like Buffy were on the rise. And, you know, it was it was an interesting time around the millennium for female characters. And Lara Croft was perfectly pitched for it. So did the media celebrate this lurch forward in on-screen inclusivity opening to the floor? Nope. Nope. No. No. Well done. Gold stars. They focused on Lara's boobs, specifically drawing up shortlists of potential actresses who could play the part because of their own physical assets. This meant that names like Pamela Anderson, Demi Moore, Jennifer Lopez. Jesus Christ. And stuff. Fucking hell. Oh, gets, yeah, gets worse. <laughs> they ordered them in boob size as well, guys. So you, the, of course the, they did. The bigger the boobs, the more likely the actress was to get the part. Uh, so it even included names like Star Trek's Jerry Ryan, who spent most of Star Trek Voyager wandering around in a skin-type bodysuit looking stern, so it was obviously ideal casting for Lara Croft. To his credit, though, Simon West, the film's first director, was insistent on finding an actress that could act the part as well as look the part. He set his sights on Angelina Jolie, who producers Paramount were exceptionally nervous about because of her unorthodox lifestyle. This is around the time she's married to Billy Bob Thornton, there's well oh, blood. Yeah. she k- kissed her brother in public, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> so she was very committed to living outside the norm. West fought hard to get Jolie the part, arguing that the mythology around her was actually perfect for fusing with the Croft mythology. And I see where he's coming from there. I think you, need, you needed someone with a bit of mystique and power about them in a way that, uh, say, Pamela Anderson doesn't. Pamela Anderson is about two things let's face it <laughs> yeah so that makes sense in a yeah. world where there's pamela anderson tomb raider i don't i don't want to i it just make sense oh. what you said like, yeah i think because so. lara croft is an outcast in her world as well so you, you need someone who's not doesn't fit in with their their whole thing yeah she got cast out of her family because she wanted to be an adventurer so yeah. it makes sense in yeah, a weird it, way Exactly. I, and I think it works. And, you know, clearly audience did as well, because the film would become, at the time, the most sex... Se- sexful. The most sexful. <laughs> There's a Freudian slip for this episode or what? Uh, so it would go on to become the most successful female-led action blockbuster of all time at the time and catapulted Jolie to, to action star status. And I think uh, she developed a very considered approach to the role as well that she could have easily gone through the motions for. Um, but she argued for not making Lara overtly sexualized because she would be a role model for young girls watching the film. And she made a real effort to train herself to be able to do all of the moves in-game Lara does, um, as well as all the stunts for the movie. There's an obvious sexuality to her Lara in the pouting, there's breathy grunts that she does, and the clingy and incredibly impractical costume she wears like throughout the movie. <laughs> there's no getting away from that. You know, Lara is still sexualized without being objectified i think in quite the same way that the marketing campaign around the first game did there are moments where you know, there's the side boob shot where she flashes arnold rimmer who's her butler mm-hmm. um but it's it's carefully crafted to be a moment of self-possession almost like she's doing it on purpose because she knows he's going to react uncomfortably so it's kind of a taking possession of her own sexuality which media lara doesn't tend to get to do very often and then in fight scenes as well, Jolie's very graceful, but she's also really animalistic. There's a the bit where she's in the um, Croft Manor and she's like clinging to the ceiling and she looks like a bat. 
like she's going to attack and it's quite um brutal in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect from a star like Jolie in a role like Lara Croft it's quite beautiful and violent at the same time and it's really exciting to see a female lead get to be like that and also look awesome doing it but we are back to the boobs because Jolie did undo all this by admitting that she was padding her bra to make sure that she was big enough to please the male audiences so you know two steps forward one step back towards the boobs but I think it's one of the best video game adaptations out there granted it is a low bar but I have a real soft spot for it and I know people watched it for their homework so what does everyone think I think the soft spot must come from having seen it at the time it came out it was utterly (laughs) ridiculous oh no I'm well aware it's utterly ridiculous it's complete bobbins I mean I found plenty to enjoy but it felt more like I was laughing at it than with it yeah that's fair I also particularly enjoyed how frequently it felt the need to be like, did you know Lara's British? I mean, at one point she's wearing that white t-shirt with the um, England flag yeah, <laughs> painted on it. But also that she's rich. You know, that oh, we have 84 bedrooms. Why are you sleeping out here? Why, why, how is that? Is that is that what rich people say? I don't, having never been rich, I don't know. <laughs> And, and I know, can confirm the, the, the chef's <laughs> kiss moment of when those two things converged like the there was the combat in the house and they were like oh they're by the Aston Martin British and rich <laughs> <laughs> she never locked Arnold Rimmer in a fridge though so I was yeah no. <laughs> I, I do miss that from the, the film I feel like they should have added that bit yeah it would have been funny as a gag obviously yeah. they weren't paying the people who made the film didn't care about the games clearly no, they're trying so hard to be cool in those films. Mm. Like, there's... I mean, I have a lot of nostalgia for it. It was one of the... I think it was the first DVD I ever bought. It was that and Dungeons & Dragons, which is also oh, wow. uh, atrocious. <laughs> yeah, didn't have much taste when I was that age. Oh, no. I mean, still don't. But yeah, thank you, Becky. I thought I'd get in there first. No, nope, I got there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I had a really fun time watching it again. It's not very good, but, you know, it's got James Bond and uh, Jorah the Explorer, so... You know, it's fun. It's fun. Oh, it's you, not very good, I but just it's fun. Got that. <laughs> that was that was a good one. That actually, yeah, I liked fair. that. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly, I I frequently get the the two movies confused because I I always went I went for a long time saying that the Cradle of Life was the best one, mm. and I assumed oh. that was the one with Daniel oh. Craig in, and not Gerard no. Butler. No, it's Gerard Butler. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, I think it was just confusion because uh, Cradle of Life was by Jan de Bont, and I liked Speed. So I assumed I must have liked that. But then again, Simon West did Con Air, and I love Con Air. So I don't know what, what was going on. It was a very confusing time. Yeah, when, <laughs> when we had this conversation about the films and you were insisting to me that Cradle of Life was the good one, I was very confused. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, each to their own. And I didn't want to, like, you know, be that guy of being like, no, your choice is rubbish. But also, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's yeah, a terrible I was very off base. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, am I the only one that watched Cradle of Life for this pod? Yeah, I'm never watching it again. Well, fuck you all then, basically, because I sat through that. No one told and... you to. Yeah, we we no, specifically mentioned that you didn't have to watch Cradle of Life. <laughs> I know, but I'm upset with myself and I need to outsource that blame somewhere so it's going on you guys. Karmic retribution for the lack of homework on the last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You're right, Sasha. I've learned my lesson. I will never do homework ever again. <laughs> it's atrocious it's really bad like there's one tomb at the start yep and that's it 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 becomes a bond film basically after that 
and Gerard Butler's in it. Sounds so, like a know. letterboxed uh, review. Not enough tombs, one star. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? Do you want me to read you my letterbox review that I wrote for this? Yes, I do. No. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. It says, no, please no, God help. <laughs> one star. <laughs> well, at least I got the star, right? Yeah. It gets to the point. In the in the follow-up wonder, they keep referring to themselves as Tomb Raiders, like it's their actual job. Like, that's a job <laughs> title. <laughs> I can't remember, actually. I do enjoy that. It's definitely a thing the they do one. in the first one. Yeah. <laughs> Repeatedly. All the Tomb Raiders. <laughs> We've got a couple of Tomb Raiders here. Yeah, it's very I got funny. it on my CV. <laughs> Tomb Raider. <laughs> I think it's one of those, because, like, obviously they were trying to appeal to an audience who'd know it outside of the video game, like, world. They were just like, we need to reference that it's a video game, like, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very early 2000s, especially the first mm. one. Maybe yeah. that's why Lara didn't know what PIMS is. Quite possibly, yes. In fairness, the first time I ever tried PIMS was when I was in America. An American had to introduce me to PIMS. Ooh. But that's just me. I'm, I'm an outlier in all <laughs> things, so don't worry about that. <laughs> the Brexit folk wouldn't like that. <laughs> I reckon it's because she's too posh for PIMS. I, f- I feel like PIMS is faux posh. Yeah, that's a good show. She's so very posh in this as well, isn't she? Yeah. She's very posh. Very posh. And yet, has a terrible wardrobe. Yes, she does. (laughs) Posh people aren't known for their style. They just have a lot of money. Yep. Curious, just based on a question I just asked, and because I haven't played the PlayStation 1 games since I had a PlayStation 1, is Tomb Raider a job title in those? Or was this exclusively (laughs) for the film versions? I like how this is like a real bugbear for you. It's like, I must know. It's is a real it a fixation because they kept Is it on LinkedIn? It. Like, what is like it? I wonder thing. if anyone has listed it on LinkedIn, like an archaeologist out there. Like, <laughs> I'm a Tomb Raider. I don't, I don't think it was mentioned as a job. I think it's just, it was just a name. I think, I think people just wanted to do that, like the Suicide Squad thing where they have to drop the name of the mm. film multiple times. To make sure that you remember what you're watching. But the name of the film is Lara Croft colon tomb raider yeah she's a colon tomb raider (laughs) oh i don't want to know what a colon tomb raider is it's a very different profession segway (laughs) (laughs) i'm supposed to do that as the host sasha's made an executive call (laughs) yeah i think that's fair just the last point i had about the film was that um it really does continue that trend of lara being two halves the the pin-up and the feminist icon and yeah, we'll see that going through into the games as well. Andy! Yay! <laughs> it's time to talk about Angel of Darkness. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> so yeah, after a brief gap in releases, uh, Eidos Interactive and Core Design would return to the series with their f- the first attempted reboot. Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, The Angel of Darkness. So for fans of needlessly busy titles, that's Lara Croft, colon, Tomb Raider, hyphen, The Angel of Darkness. Uh, they tipped up the branding from the movies in a hope that this would pull in fans who might have enjoyed the movies rather than pulling in fans of the original games. Like You could see that the focus had shifted towards cashing in on the movies rather than the legacy of the video games. So um, Lara Croft call on Tomb Raider hyphen the Angel of Darkness <laughs> began development at the same time as Chronicles was wrapping up production, um, but the development was uh, fraught with issues. So now normally... How this would work is, when things are working properly, uh, developers would have a team, a small team, starting work on a new title while their current project is coming to a close. Uh, The primary team would ideally have a functional framework in place 
for when they start to absorb the rest of the team so things can really kick into gear. But um, that was not the case of Angel of Darkness. Uh, the developers who had just completed work on Chronicles joined the Angel of Darkness team to find the game in complete chaos. Uh, nothing was working at all, so they had to scrap the game and they had to start over, which uh, set back development considerably. So initial plans were to make the game episodic so they could have time to properly develop the nar narrative over like a longer development window, but there were fears from Eidos Interactive of alienating the audience with an episodic Tomb Raider because it was episodic gaming wasn't really the big thing at that point, so that plan was also scrapped. So that meant the game was basically cut in half to meet the deadlines, and they were basically unable to make the story work with the limited um, space they had with the narrative. The team were also having a lot of difficulty programming with the PS2's more complicated architecture. It was causing a lot of technical issues, because they, they spent like five years or so like programming on PS1, and they would jump into the far more advanced PS2. So like on all fronts, Angel of Darkness was turning into a complete mess. Having faced like numerous delays, Angel of Darkness was rushed onto shelves to avoid further delays, and the results saw the game being panned by critics, with an average of 50.5% and selling only 2.5 million copies. So this, this attempt to revitalise the series was falling flat on its face. Even worse, um, while the PS2 was the lead platform for Angel of Darkness, the game was also being ported to PC, but this port was very much an afterthought and it was being built with a PS2 controller in mind. So there were no PS, uh, PC controls in place a month before release. Oof. At this point, their programmer Gavin Rummery was asked to build a PC control system, which he had to hack together in about like a week. Oof. The whole thing feels very much like the Cyberpunk 2077 of its time. Now, I'm, I'm going to read out a review, and this is one that I think would make even Harry Knowles cringe. No, no. So, I'm going to ask Becky to bite down on a shoe or something <laughs> until I'm done. <laughs> this, this is rough. I'm, I'm not going to enjoy reading this. I'm braced. So, in a review published by GameSpy, it read, <clears throat> IDOS has been pimping out Lara Croft for almost seven years now, and that's a long time to be working the streets. When we first saw her, there was no price we wouldn't pay to have her. She was smart oh. and sexy, and she gave us something that we couldn't get from any other game at the time. But the years have not been kind to Miss Croft. When we asked her to show us something that would get us excited again, she opted for breast enhancement surgery instead. Oh. Angel of Darkness gives us a prettied up Lara, but she's still running through the same motions we first saw seven years ago. And it's just not worth 50 bucks to see her turn her tricks anymore. Nah. Yeah, that it feels really emblematic of how certain sections of culture was were viewing Lara like ever since like even before she it was the game was the first game was released. Mm. It feels like the character in the franchise had massively drifted away from the original intentions people weren't getting it uh, like something really had to change and that would come in the form of yeah uh, the crystal dynamics era with um tomb raider basically being a ruin itself at this point idos took the property away from car design and gave it to crystal dynamics who had gained some renown for their work with gex and the legacy of kane series which would i love legacy of kane and also, I'm, I'm kind of spitballing here, but maybe IDOS like to abbreviate a lot in their internal documents, and they like they didn't want to learn a new set of initials when they were talking about the Tomb Raider devs. Yeah. Any, yeah. Get it. C, CD, CD, yeah, C, yeah. yeah. No, I got it, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, Crystal Dynamics had gone to produce what was called the Legends trilogy, which included Legend in 2006, Anniversary in 2007, and Underworld in 2008. 
and this would span the 6th and 7th console generations. Tomb Raider Legends uh, proved to be a big comeback for the series, scoring an average of 80% across all the home console editions and selling 6.4 million copies. And around this time, Core Design were working on a 10th anniversary remake of the original game for the PlayStation Portable, but that was cancelled as a focus moved towards Crystal Dynamics steering the ship from here on. Uh, that cancelled remake was, uh, funnily enough, reskinned to be an Indiana Jones game, but that was also cancelled. No. <laughs> so, I'm just picturing uh, Core Design, like, you know, sideshow bobbing their way through a never-ending series of rakes. <laughs> <laughs> Hitting them in so, the boobs. Yeah, right in the tits. <laughs> so, yeah, Core Design would go on to be bought out by Rebellion and then subsequently shuttered in 2010. So it was a really sad ending for that studio. And despite the success of Legends, the downward trend returned almost immediately. Anniversary scored a solid 78.5%, but only moved 1.3 million copies, while Underworld made a marginal comeback with a 3.8 million units sold, because that was it was available on multiple consoles, that, that game. But it suffered critically due to a panned PlayStation 2 part, so that review average dropped to 73.6%. While Crystal Dynamics worked really hard to rehabilitate the Tomb Raider name, uh, publisher Eidos Interactive had some more curious ideas on how to market these games. Yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, that doesn't sound like it's going to be a good thing. I mean, it's not as bad as the initial push. Okay. So after Cradle of Life was terrible, and also with the game's declining popularity, the media presence isn't quite as ubiqu- ubiquitous as it once was. Um, you did have Keely Hawes voicing Lara Croft, who she was in her spooks heyday. So you, you had that kind of star quality to the character in the performances, but the personality of her didn't really translate in the same way. And you've still got things like the LucasAid ads. And by this point, you've got various action figures from both the movies and the games, branded materials, that sort of thing. But I, what I wanted to update you on in this point in the timeline, are the marketing models. Did you think that this could get weirder? Because you'd be right. <laughs> oh, I didn't want it to. Yeah. So it's for the later models who portrayed Lara, they were expected to do much more than just pose for photographs and read from a pre-prepared script. When Karima Adabib took on the role for Legend, she had to train in areas that Lara was good at, like vehicle handling, so she had to learn to ride a motorbike, and combat techniques, as well as elocution and conduct lessons to better convey Lara's aristocratic background. So it's a full-on performance at this point. So fucking weird. Still weird. <laughs> so weird. Alison Carroll, um, she's a gymnast, and she succeeded at Abib and received SAS survival training, oh, Jesus. weapons training, and had lessons in archaeology to better portray the role. <laughs> was, that, was that demanded, or was that something that she wanted to do? As far as I'm not gonna lie, I've done training before that I've just been curious to do because the company's been paying for it. Uh, No, it looks like they were expected to do these things to take on the role, like it was built into the brand of being the real life Mm. Lara Croft is that you would have to do all these things. Can I ask? Is there a point in this timeline where they just drop someone in ancient temple and they go, "Go on." Or shoot a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> Can you survive a tiger attack? Good luck. <laughs> but yeah, it's mad that all the all of this is just for marketing. Like, I can understand it for a movie where you have to physically like get involved in the kind of scenes that would require that training, like Angelina Jolie did. But the, these women were just paid to like just 
exist as Laura Croft for a bit. It's so weird. I just find it such a bizarre marketing technique. And the fact that, I mean, we're up to where in the timeline at this point? About 2008? Yeah. Like, this is recent. We're not even talking, like, an old marketing technique. This is recent history. And it's just bizarre. And it just makes me cringe. Just, It is very cringy. But I do have mixed feelings on it, generally, in the sense of, like... You know, if the if the women wanted to do that and saw that opportunity, like I'm not gonna lie, if you know I was able to be Lara Croft and also I'd get to do all those cool training. Things, <laughs> yeah, I'm I not kind of would go for it. I think it's just the concept of having a real living person. But then at the same time, if you look at I don't know, um, maybe it's an American thing ish, and I'm generalizing there, but like you know, um, going out to the states and stuff, and you know, you have people. I know it's in the parks and things, but people who are paid to be like the X-Men and stuff like that. And yeah. when I've done reading into that, they have to train <laughs> for that as well. Like, you know, they, <laughs> they have to fit a certain body type and they have to be able to do sort of slight gymnastics, especially like the Spider-Man and stuff like that. So I don't know. I can see both sides. It's weird, but also... Yeah, I have I have no issues with the people who took on the roles. I just want to make that clear. And, you know, like you said, it's a great opportunity. And I can see the comparisons to, to theme parks and Chip's career as he's so strenuously hinting in the background as cosplay <laughs> Spider-Man. Um, it's more the actual concept of, like, a real-life statue almost. That's what it feels like to me, is that these women will put a marketing events to be ogled and objectified because they were portraying a sexy video game character which i i do have issues with purely it's the concept i'm having a problem with rather than the people involved i think you know what they did and to take on all that various training and stuff is amazing but yeah i just i find it really disturbing that it's essentially just casting like a live action figure if that makes sense yeah it's asking a lot of people when most of the time she's probably just going to be posing in front of a motorcycle or posing on a hill or something. Yeah. It's, no one's expecting to like just have a camera on a 24-7 and film her doing all these amazing adventures. It's mostly just going to be photo shoots and stuff. So it's a, it's 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 no wonder that IDOS Interactive went under wasting all the <laughs> fucking money like this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, because you think, like, I remember Nell McAndrew, like, that announcement being a huge thing like she was the next Lara Croft and there was a whole big like reveal it was like Doctor Who but without the TV show that goes along with it oh like the next pop yeah <laughs> yeah if there's green triangular boob smoke they've picked another one <laughs> I kind of wish they'd gone done it with other games as well like train a bandicoot to be crashed <laughs> you know get a hedgehog and put it in some runners and send it on its way <laughs> just extract an Italian plumber and see how he does <laughs> But that, like, that's the thing. I think if it was like with the with the um, the theme parks that you mentioned, Sasha, it's it's quite an established thing, and there are lots of different characters doing it, and they are designed to interact with kids and with families. I think it's the interactivity bit that differs it for me, and also the fact that look, there was only really Lara Croft marketed in this way. I don't remember any other big name actors portraying real life versions of video game characters at the time i may be wrong and i'm happy to be corrected but yeah and at this point we have our next guinness world record lara croft has the most official real life stand-ins for a video game character so there we go i think it stood at eight official ones by the by the end it's no bloody wonder really 
<laughs> it's been like it's been, this has been a thing since like day one. Yeah. Perhaps you know, being perhaps a little more forgiving in myself, maybe it speaks to the uniqueness of the character. So for the longest time, she's been one of the main female leading yeah. video yeah. game characters. She was the only game in town, really, for like a long time. Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm, there, there certainly were others that existed, but nowhere near to the um, popularity or and notoriety that Lara Croft has. I think. Yeah, and we'll, we are going to get into this a bit later on towards the end of the episode. I, I have a question to ask of you all because I th- I think you're right. I think there's there's a it's that conflict again of the pinup versus the icon. Like you know, it, it speaks to her progressiveness and her like bla- uh, blaze trait. No, trailblazing. That's the word. Tra- yeah, the trailblazing nature of the character that she is. You know, the standalone. Um, but also there's all these problems that surround her because of, I'm just going to say it, the men around her who, you know, whether we're talking the audience or the marketing execs, even right down to the developers initially, everything's built in to make this a really contradictory, problematic figure that's also kind of great. It's a weird one. It becomes like a marketing tool in itself as well, doesn't it? In that, oh, who's going to be the new Lara Croft? Because, you know, whenever there's a new Doctor Who, whenever there's a new Batman, like, that always generates a bond as well. That, that gets a lot of press. Yes. So, you know, in a way, if they're, you know, new game or, you know, however long these uh, models and actresses lasted as Lara Croft, there's that side of it as well that you can plug a game and be like, oh, we're going to announce a new actual Lara Croft as well. And I think, you know, no wonder it works so well for them for so many years. It's just it's kind of working on many different levels. Yes. Yes, exactly. Fortunately, though, to end this debate, Square Enix took over the publishing duties and they just retired the use of models. So no uh, more model updates for you. <laughs> we're, we're all done with that <laughs> side of the character. Over to you, Crash. <laughs> it's actually back to Andy, but if we want to call him Crash, we can do. <laughs> he does okay. have a Crash Mandicoot-like quality. <laughs> I'm constantly shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, salvage yeah. that. <laughs> don't, don't know where I went. Why went there? Never mind. So uh, yeah, as Becky said, uh, Square Enix bought out Eidos Interactive in 2009, absorbing the Tomb Raider IP into their considerable library of titles. Uh, Crystal Dynamics were kept on as the core developers, and a major rethink on what a Tomb Raider game needs to be in the modern era was had. And um, the first release was Guardians of Light, which was a co-op isometric shooter. So they were already thinking outside the box from the beginning. Um, it's also worth noting, just as an aside, during the Legend era, the first Uncharted game was released um, a year after Legend hit, and it proved to be a big hit for Sony, and it could be argued that this fresh and well-written take on Tomb Raider is what turned gamers away from the subsequent entries in the Legend series. Like The massively acclaimed Tomb- oh, Uncharted 2 dropped in 2009, a year after Tomb Raider Underworld, um, so attempting to top that with more of the same was just not going to work. A Naughty Dog series brought like a richer storytelling, well-written characters, incredible cinematic presentation. These games just built off ideas the Tomb Raider series started, but brought um, modern innovations to lead the charge in making games feel like a viable entertainment alternative to movies and TV shows. They also unwittingly established a foundation where Tomb Raider could be rebuilt. Before Square and Crystal Dynamics settled on what would become called the Survivor Trilogy, there were plans to reinvent the series and attempt to renew interest. Uh, they were willing to think, think outside the box, as already established, 
and after the series had spent like uh, over a decade comfortably hibernating in the same damn box, it was needed. The first title was con- called Tomb Raider Ascension, and it was intended to be a horror-themed title. To take a quote from the book Tomb Raider Final Hours, which was released by Square Enix, Ascension planned to combine, and I quote, the emotionally rich role-playing game Ico, the survival horror of Resident Evil, and the towering mythical creatures of Shadow of the Colossus. Um, there is early footage of this that exists, and it shows either a completely untextured or partially textured Lara Croft navigating these creepy caves and foggy landscapes, tackling uh, freaky-looking monsters in confined spaces, and th- those things move like your worst fucking nightmare because they're only partially animated in the test footage. <laughs> it's really unsettling. This is the first example of the games toying with the, um, the bow and arrow combat style, which would become a staple of the Survivor trilogy. There's even um, horseback riding in the game, and you can see footage of her evading a giant creature, or a colossus, if you will. They were very, uh, they weren't hiding the fact of what they were trying to take their ideas from. Anyway, Ascension's development came to a sudden end when Crystal Dynamics held a meeting and asked itself whether Ascension would be as good as Batman Arkham Asylum. And not a single person said it would be, so they scrapped the entire thing. <laughs> that should be a measure for all games, I think, in development. Like, is it going to be as good as Batman's Arkham Asylum? No? Cool. Let's do something that doesn't. <laughs> Let's not do it, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question to ask. After scrapping that, they still wanted to reboot the series, and at this point in pop culture, it's uh, worth noting that um, taking cartoonish adventures that had fallen out of favour and giving them a gritty reboot was getting into vogue. We had uh, Batman Begins and Casino Royale proving that uh, grit and nuance could be applied using the biggest of caricatures, the ones that had like reached like almost self-parodic levels. And this is the direction they wanted to take Tomb Raider, and despite Angel of Darkness being such a massive failure, uh, Lara Croft hadn't suffered an embarrassment nearly as bad as Batman and Robin or Die Another Day, <laughs> uh, largely because public interest in the series and character had already like faded out of focus. I'd just like to uh, say I like Die Another Day. Yeah, of course you do. Make it that what you will. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so with that in mind, like her character rehabilitation was going to be pretty easy. Uh, most people just remember the classic games. Uh, they don't really remember anything that came afterwards. I mean, I didn't even realise there were two games that followed Tomb Raider 3. That that they just completely fell out of my brain. <laughs> As a proof of concept for what would become Tomb Raider 2013, they had done a voice test for Tomb Raider Ascension, and it served as like the proof of concept for the new direction they wanted to take Lara Croft. And the dialogue would inform the series going forward. I'll just do a quotation. You think you know me. Think you've seen me before. The Brit princess. Rich girl with a pretty face. Shiny guns and a flair for gymnastics. I think you've got me mixed up with someone else. I'm not perfect. I'm not bulletproof. I struggle. I bleed. I get cold. I get lost. I have doubts. I know pain. I know fear. It went on to say, One day I will become a legend. A warrior. A hero. A raider. But first I will be a survivor. Still think you know me? Think again. So, while the overt horror elements were removed, but not completely absent, especially early on in the first reboot, uh, the desire to ground Lara Croft as a character remained at the forefront. Uh, the intent was to remove the infallible action hero and replace it with someone vulnerable and um, flawed, but interesting. Someone a gamer would have to fight tooth and nail to keep alive. A survivor is born was another key phrase during the pitch for uh, Tomb Raider Ascension, 
and this would go on to be the reboot's tagline. So the reboot felt like a reaction to the old games as well as Uncharted. It was like speaking back to the original games in a way, stepping up to Uncharted's globetrotting cinematic thrills with some more gruelling grit and grime. I like a more grounded, character-driven riff on Uncharted's more bombastic, character-driven riff on the original Tomb Raider's merely bombastic riff <laughs> on games like Pitfall. It's just games riffing on games riffing on games. And even like Uncharted 4 would go on to crib gameplay mechanics and tonal ideas from the Tomb Raider reboot, so it's just a constant evolution of the medium that are just always feeding off each other, which is really cool. Tomb Raider was released in 2013. It hits an 86% review average and sold 14.5 million units, which is the best-selling entry in the franchise to date. Uh, Tomb Raider 2013 was followed by two sequels, uh, 2015's Rise of the Tomb Raider, which received an 86.6 review average and 7 million units sold, which was a notable drop from previous games, but still on par with like previous series highs. It's um, also worth noting that the sequels were released on one console, whereas the reboot was released on two. About two generations, that is. So um, it's kind of the same principle as why like Skyrim and GTA Five are the biggest games of all time, because they'll never stop selling if they never stop releasing the fucking things. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider came out in 2018. Um, this was the first time since 2006 where a developer other than Crystal Dynamics was developing a mainline Tomb Raider title. Eidos Montreal took over as developers, while Crystal Dynamics moved on to develop Marvel's Avengers. Boo. <laughs> I was just going to say, how do we feel about that, Andy? It's, it's a bad idea, really. <laughs> Shouldn't have wasted the time. Uh, so yeah, Shadow received a much lower 78% review average and sold only 4.12 million in sales. Uh, it was another notable decline in both quality and success. It, it's possible that the interest in the series had already began to wane. Uh, fans had seen it all or felt like there's nothing else to find by the time the third game came out. It's just it's a really interesting pattern with the Lara Croft games. They get this intense burst of attention and affection with the first games, and then it's just a steady decline that follows. It's happened with each series in the Lara Croft legacy. It's not something you see with like characters like Mario and stuff like that, so... It's curious, like, what is it about the Lara Croft character? What is the issue with the Lara Croft character, in fact? I'll um, hand this over to Becky to discuss this more. Yes. So, as Andy mentioned, we're in the years of the gritty reboot, but pop culture is also, at this point, in the process of reassessing the, in quotes, strong female character and what it takes to break out of that trope to avoid afford female characters with more depth than just being able to hit people and look good while doing it. So I think much like the original Tomb Raider arrived at a time of girl power versus lad mags, you have pop culture reassessing how they treat these legacy characters, particularly female characters. You know, she's not the only action hero on the block anymore. And as a character in the old iteration, she feels quite dated for all the reasons we've discussed previously. So it becomes a big focus of the marketing campaign as well, that this is a different Lara to the one that we know. This is pre-confidence, pre-sass, um, pre-being able to do just about anything. And she's more of a girl-next-door type. And Rihanna Pratchett, uh, daughter of Terry, um, who worked on the game as a writer, she talks about the desire to make Lara more realistic and relatable. She rejects her family's money in favour of working for herself. She moves 
far away from the female James Bond playgirl type that the original Lara embodied. And reading Pratchett talk about her intentions for Lara is really refreshing. Um, It's a really nice interview. I will make sure we post the link on the pod account um, in an article that I researched uh, for this podcast. She's got such an affection for the character, but also for transforming her into something and someone who feels more real and is an actual character not just a fantasy or a plaything. and her proportions are normal which is also nice <laughs> but then of course the marketing team get properly involved and i would like you to, to take you back to e3 in 2012 where crystal dynamics ron rosenberg is being interviewed by kotaku's jason schreier about the impending reboot Shreya asks if it was difficult to develop for a female protagonist, which is a question I dislike, but moving on. Rosenberg unleashed a response that would go on to cause a social media firestorm, and it's something I was part of. I remember this happening very keenly. Um, And I've bunched all his answers together for ease, but these are all direct quotes, and I'm going to read it all to you as like a big chunk, so you can process this as we go along. So, this is Ron Rosenberg, quote... When people play Lara, they don't really project themselves into the character. They're more like, I want to protect her. There's this sort of dynamic of, I'm going to go on this adventure with her and try to protect her. She's definitely the hero, but you're kind of like her helper. When you see her have to face these challenges, yeah, you start rooting for her in a way that you might not root for a male character. Pause for effect and a deep breath. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. The ability to see her as a human is even more enticing to me than the more sexualized version of yesteryear, because we know, everybody, that sexy women aren't human. Sorry, I'll return to the quote. She literally goes from zero to hero. We're sort of building her up, and just when she gets confident, we break her down again. End quote. It's at this point in the interview that Schreier describes aspects of the reboot plot, emphasising that Lara will suffer. Her best friend will be kidnapped while Lara is taken hostage by island scavengers, who will then attempt to rape her. And we're back to Rosenberg again. Quote, She's literally turned into a cornered animal. It's a huge step in her evolution. She's forced to either fight back or die. We're not trying to be over the top, shock people for shock people's sake. We're trying to tell a great origin story. End quote. Naturally... This didn't go down very well. Social media (laughs) ignited, pointing out that there are more ways to add depth to a female character than to simply give her origin story a gratuitous dose of trauma to justify why she became so tough. The attempted rape language is walked back on in subsequent discussions of the reboot, but when you get to the scene in question, there's undeniably a sexual threat element to it in the way that the male NPC approaches Lara in the cutscene and how his hands touch her. I believe he strokes his face... And then you see his hand kind of drift downwards. Um, He then becomes her first kill, which is depicted as a very traumatic moment in the game. And the implication is still that she needs that sexual threat trauma to push her into full survival mode. There's also the fact that the violence against her in the game is often uncomfortably masculinized. Whether she falls from a great height or loses control in a river current, she is invariably penetrated by some phallic-looking object, as if to reaffirm that Lara might be strong, but masculinity is stronger still. So, even though the reboot does a really good job of creating a Lara with more depth and more accurate body proportions, there's still that central paradox going on, uh, which would also carry into the reboot movie, starring Alicia Vikander, and serving as a direct adaptation of the 2003 game. I like to think that it does a really good job of showing Lara as someone who is not yet fully formed, 
and is learning as she goes along. Um, I quite like the reboot, and we'll discuss it a bit more in a second. But just to talk about the reaction to it, the reboot movie received mixed reviews, unsurprisingly, a lot of them were written by male writers, who focused on Vikander's apparent lack of sex appeal in the role and the size of her boobs compared with earlier iterations of the character, because, of course, it's all about the boobs. <sighs> I have to breathe now and just yeah, calm myself. Yes. Yeah, that's fine. I'm just resting my head on my hands right now. So. <laughs> so female writers were involved in both the reboot game and movie to craft her in a more feminist image. And yet the conversation around Lara is still dominated by how the male audience interacts with her, whether it's wanting to protect her or nurture her in some creepy paternalistic rescue role because you're her helper. Uh, <laughs> or, or just to ogle her boobs while she runs around in tight clothing. The debate will always rage as to which side of the coin Lara falls on. Is she a male-crafted sex fantasy or an aspirational female role model? And so, to end on, I want to throw out one final question to the group. At this point in time, do you think it is possible to have a feminist Lara Croft? I do, but I think that starts with the, you know, the roots of it all. Who's writing the script if it's a film or the script for the game? who's developing it, what are their intentions. Because if you've got, like, the guy from E3 saying shit like that, (laughs) then no. But I think it's, yeah, it's the people that are around Lara and building her game or her movies, um, their intentions, who they are as people. Uh, So I definitely think they could get some very, very good people in to do those because it's 2021 and you'd hope there were more of those people about then, you know eight years ago apparently (laughs) so yeah i think it's possible i mean obviously the audience are going to read things into it depending on who they are as people as well but yeah it can be done you just need the right people in place from the start i think to build whatever world it is you're building with lara croft Mm. sasha i don't know because i don't think she's inherently not feminist and i don't think she inherently is Mm. there are aspects of the character that are feminist i mean you know, you kind of hit a lot there how she has transcended video games in a way that few other video game characters have at all, regardless of gender. Um, there aren't there aren't many that uh, have made it onto big screen and into pop culture generally in the same way that Lara Croft has. It's not always for the right reasons, but it, it doesn't change the fact that of what she is fundamentally, which is a solo Tomb Raider. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if because I'm a bit ambivalent towards the character, but I personally have issues with the idea of feminism. Uh, can it, a character is feminist if they're badass? I hate badass. Mm. I, I, I hate when female characters are described as badass because it, it it's always used for this this one kind of character, and seems to be that's enough. That's feminist. That's yes. fine. Yeah, agreed. And she very much sits in that column of feminism i think unfortunately i'm sitting on the fence because i don't know no that's um, fine fence sitting is is all there's no right or wrong answer i i have my own opinion it's an entirely subjective question i'm gonna throw it to andy and then i will i'll give mine um but yes i agree with all points made so far yeah it it's it's complicated because i feel like lara croft is haunted by the, the lad mag culture that surrounded her in 1996 try as she might the character cannot escape that tits out for the lads in a quote quotes (laughs) mentality 
no matter how much a creator and developers who have handled us since would like. The, the second IDOS Interactive decided to follow the sex sells marketing path of the original Tomb Raider, I felt like she was kind of damned. Like she's a character that arguably arrived too soon because, I mean, the mid-90s was a hellscape. <laughs> it was a bad time for anybody to arrive. Uh, so had she arrived any later, would she have had the same impact, though? Mm. Like she's a character that's done like so much good for the industry like she basically crawled through glass so other characters could like run like uh without her do we get characters like aloy in horizon zero dawn ellie and abby in uh the last of us 2 or like senua from uh hellblade like without lara croft establishing that women could front a blockbuster AAA game back when it was practically unheard of um i feel like she, she is a pioneering character no doubt but her legacy is like always going to be complicated and compromised somewhat. I don't know. Like, the, I don't. No matter what you do with the character, the culture around her is never going to fully embrace her in the way that the creators would like. Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of sitting. Uh, I'm leaning towards no, but I'm also I'm a bit with Sasha in that I think that she's such a a character of two halves. I think that's one thing that's really come across in all our research, Andy, is that this dichotomy between being a trailblazing revolutionary progressive character and the way in which pop culture reacted to her and the marketing campaign that promoted her depicted her as this kind of like teenage masturbatory fantasy you know that dichotomy has been inherent in every iteration of the game or movie or you know pop culture figure that she's appeared in you know as it's gone forward I think it's a bit like a Bond girl. There's always going to be that history tied to when the characters were solely there for male um, gratification and male fantasy. And I'm not sure Lara's ever going to be able to escape that legacy, however much I want to, her to. I love the character. I always have done. I really enjoy the three reboot games, the Survivor trilogy. I really enjoyed the Alicia Vikander movie as well. I really like the direction that Lara's gone in. But I think, Andy, I'm with you on the fact that I'm not sure she's ever going to escape the legacy of it. I'd much rather them kind of leave Lara alone now and work to create new characters like Aloy um, and the ones you mentioned. I mean, obviously, I love Aloy. We've established this. But, you know, she's she is built on the foundations of Lara Croft. And I think that... Lara as a character her use might be better now is to be that foundation from which better characters with less problematic histories can thrive however much I would love more Tomb Raider games but why, why don't we just have a a new Tomb Raider with a different female character you know something along those lines and yeah I would be happy I just I feel like I need to take a shower after reading all of those things out to you <laughs> you call it uh crypt robber Yes, Crypt Robber. Oh. That doesn't sound problematic at all. <laughs> no, it's fine. Is that the Lara Croft you get from Wish? <laughs> <laughs> but I think as well, there's the, there's the whole idea of um, the colonialism aspect, which you brought up right at the beginning, Andy. It's a debate that's being had around Uncharted and Indiana Jones and all these characters that go into the tombs of ancient cultures and rob shit, basically, with real-life debates raging around things like the Elgin Marbles, which we very much stole and have kept hold of. Um, they don't belong to us. They belong to Greece. They're, you know, it's about where the rights are to the the objects and the artifacts that Lara would go in and steal. And I think the reboot trilogy does a really good job of trying to 
work through her place in that world like you know what right has she got to roam into these cultures and take what she wants and appropriate what she wants so I think the franchise is wrestling with really interesting questions but it's just tied to a very dumb one-dimensional view of a character from a certain audience and um, industry people that I'm, I'm just not sure she's ever going to escape successfully at this point. Okay, so it's time for my recommendation of the month and I'm going to stick with the Tomb Raider theme and I am going to recommend watching uh, Tomb Raider, the Alicia Vikander version because um, I think it's really good and I think it's a really fun film that does some really interesting flourishes and references to the reboot game. I think Vikander's great. Um, and I really hope that the sequel that is supposed to be happening happens because I'm really interested to see how that goes. Yes, me too. I watched this uh, again this morning. I've seen it before um, and really enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it more than the first time I saw it. Uh, I just had a really good time. I mean, it was coming after I watched Cradle of Life yesterday. <laughs> so, you know, anything is going to seem like an improvement. But I had a really fun time watching it and I would really like a sequel too. I, I enjoyed all the little touches they had and the nods to the game that it's based on. Yeah, there's the bit where there's this spiked like wheel thingy that she has to jump over. And I was like, oh, that's from the game. So that was fun. <laughs> and when she finds the ice pick as well, yes. that was good. I got excited Yes, that. that was also great. I still haven't seen it. Andy! I didn't have time. I was doing all sorts of other stuff. So you've seen Cradle of Life. That's yeah, not be... Cradle of Life when it came out. And <laughs> you haven't seen this. To be f- That's no I, excuse. I still haven't seen it either. Right, well, we're going to have a one-up pod cinema screening of the Tomb Raider reboot. Cradle of Life. Not oh. Cradle of Life. <laughs> no, go on. It's, it, I mean, to be fair, I didn't have a chance to watch any of the movies because I was too busy reading horrible things that people had written about Lara Croft's boobs. Yay. <laughs> um, but yeah, we should, we should do that. Let's have a, a pod hang and watch the Tomb Raider reboot. It's a date-ish awesome <laughs> i look forward to watching crypt robber with you all yes yes crypt robber doesn't sound i'm i'm busy that day <laughs> <laughs> okay so that's the end of this month's episode oh it's guys it's double figures episode i meant to mention this at the top but oh, oh fuck it's number 10 yeah what? 10 episodes guys go so big and growing up now i know <laughs> We'll, we'll hit puberty soon. <laughs> Training wheels are off. <laughs> oh, yeah. What an episode to pick for it as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> Congrats, guys. Go us. I'm proud of us. Me too. Especially this time last year, like when we said, we should do a podcast. And we all went, yeah, all right. And look look where we are now. <laughs> we did quit. We didn't. It, I mean, the whole process has been pretty easy, really, hasn't it? Yeah, we just get together and talk video yeah. games. It's like what we were doing anyway. Yeah. But now we have a format. <laughs> yeah, we do. I'm looking at it now, actually, while I uh, remind myself of <laughs> how we end the podcast. <laughs> I should know 10 episodes in. But yes, so please like, rate, review and subscribe um, wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really does help us get the word out and get more lovely listeners. You can follow us on uh, Twitter at 1UPPOD, O-D, just the 1D. Um, we're also on Instagram now where Chip is posting memes like all the time. Uh, hey. <laughs> so you will find us there um, I am Becky Grace Lee on Instagram and Twitter Bash where can people find you uh, on Twitter and Twitch I'm Bash at Demonhead Chip 
I am at the Chip Thompson on Twitter, and you can find me on Twitch at uh, or the. Oh, you've fuck, forgotten your name again, haven't you? Jesus Christ! <laughs> Do we need to say it for you? Chip Thompson's Are you thumbs. Sure? Yeah, I just looked at my hands and I remembered. <laughs> So that's Chip well, Thompson's it's u- thumbs. it's useful that your hands are your reminders. If you lose your thumbs, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> For many, are we going to play video games? That's that's like me with remembering my with my lefts and rights. I look at my hands. There we go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, looking at your hands solves all of life's problems. It does. It does. Well, you heard it here. Hurt. That. That. Oh, I talked too much. <laughs> you <laughs> look at your hands. Look at your hands. Yes, you've heard it here first. Oh, we said it right that time. We meant to say it right. Yeah, you meant to oh. say it wrong, didn't you? <laughs> Who, of ten episodes, and we've got this down superbly. Go us. <laughs> well, I never said I had. I said we had. This is only my... Yeah, but we've all just proved we haven't. <laughs> anyway, research partner in crime. Andy, where can we find you? I'm on Twitter, truly underscore defective. Awesome. That's it for, it for this month, guys. Uh, next month, what are we doing? Is it franchises we never played month it is we'll have a snappier title than that but yes well I, that was just off the top of my head but yeah i would hope we'd... oh no this is because i haven't actually named oh, it okay. yet it's written, so. it's written down as gaming blind spots so oh okay we'll go with that. that let's go with that gaming blind spots month so yes we will catch you then but in the meantime get a life play video games catch you one up tune catch you one up tune oh my god my throat Thank you.